The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am back on the podcast this week after giving the reins over to Michelle and Eric last week. I'm a college professor and the father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom to three girls and I'm a CPA and very happy that George is back to the intro because <laughs> it happens to be really hard. 
And I'm Eric Hall, uh, endurance athlete and coach, typically in Raleigh, North Carolina, but today recording from Fort Clinch, just north of Jacksonville, Florida. I'm the father to three teenagers and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. And one of those teenagers is getting ready to run the Keys 100, which is the reason why you're in Fort Clinch. Isn't that right, Eric? That is correct. Uh, I am the away team. I brought all the gear down. <laughs> I'm picking up Melissa and Grace at the airport tomorrow in Fort Lauderdale. We're driving down to Key Largo. We'll spend the night there, hang out Friday, get our race packets, and then Saturday morning, bright and early, Keys 100 for Grace. Okay, you say bright and early. Exactly how bright and early are we talking about? I need to verify with Grace, but I believe her start time is 6.30 or 6.35 a.m. Okay. Very cool. Um, the earlier, the better, man, because as you know, far better than I do, the big challenge there in the Keys 100 is heat. Um, and so I will be looking forward to seeing how that goes. Uh, I am asking this question on Michelle's behalf. Uh, what is the tracking situation there in the Keys 100? So I'm going to ask when I when we go to packet pickup, they do have timing mats. They have multiple timing mats along the course. So I don't know if they just do that for the sake of timing or they do that to actually upload. I have, I have not actually uh, figured that one out, but I, I'm either gonna figure it out or just uh, ask tomorrow and I'll let you guys know, or ask Friday, it'll be Friday. Very cool. We're excited for you, man. And obviously we're very excited for Grace too. So do you feel like she's ready? You know, I, I talk about this all the time on the podcast. This has been a huge progression for Grace, you know, two miles used to be a long run for grace and we just slowly worked up and we did you know every race at first we ran them side by side and then we ran together but she would run her own race and i'd run my own race and then you know we finally did a race where i just kind of ran next to her for 50 miles and let her navigate and do all of the stuff that she was supposed to do and this one she's doing on her own uh, because she's ready uh, you know i honestly think she's ready this is not an easy one to do on your own though this is one of the um, uh, bad water races that they suggest because it's unsupported and it's hot as can get. Um, and there's a lot of sun and there's just things you got to deal with. So um, it won't be easy, but I, I think she's ready. Very cool. We're excited. How cool was it when Allison Mercer, second place finisher in Sterling Gym, gold shirt winner in Sterling Gym last week during the podcast said, oh, I'm a fan of Grace. <laughs> She didn't just say she's a fan. She says, oh, I know Grace. Right, right. And I thought that was super cool. That was one of the highlights of what I thought was a great interview that both of you did, by the way. So well I thought done. that was cool, but it was even better when I told Grace that over dinner the next mm. night and she just lit up. So yeah, it was, cool. that was very cool of Allison to say that. So I thought so, too. I thought so, too. I enjoyed y'all's interview with Allison, and we're going to talk more about it and debrief it. As we often do when we interview somebody, we kind of circle back around a week later and talk about it and talk about some of our takeaways and some of the big ideas that we had and that we've been ruminating on over the course of the past week. Um, and so we'll talk about that with Allison here in just a few minutes. But kudos to you, Eric. Kudos to you, Michelle. I thought y'all did a great job. We did. <laughs> The first time in 216 podcasts that I was not involved, at least not in the initial recording. I did the editing, but um, but but the two of you took it on and did the intro yourselves and and did it from start to finish. Well done. That was fun. You're welcome. <laughs> this is you have to understand. This is like the dream to me. 
that that when I invited Michelle to come on and Eric to come on, even when I had Patrick on, like the idea was that eventually we would get this like rotating cast of people on this podcast such that we could put out a podcast roughly every week just with some combination of people. Um, but nonetheless, this is the first time I've been able to kind of bow out myself and leave it entirely to y'all. I thought it was great. And I thought you did a fine job. I think this bodes well for the future. Michelle, are you like ready to take on a, a leadership role and do the intros? And So can we just divide ready to take on a leadership role from do the intro? <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure what, I can't really figure out what the problem was. I could not do the intro. I mean, I must have, we must have tried five times. I think it would actually maybe be better to do it off camera or before we let a guest in if we're doing an interview. Hmm. Um, but yeah, kudos to Eric who stuck around after uh, we recorded for a long time and he had to go and threw one intro in and it was great. So <laughs> I Very tried. Good. Very good. Michelle, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I know you're not getting ready to run the keys 100 or anything, but what you up to? How's everything going? Um, no, but I'm, I did a workout last week and this week mm -hmm. <laughs> decided to not, um, show up at Peachtree and shock, you know, the system. Mm -hmm. So it's been pretty fun getting back out on the track. It's a little bit warmer than, you know, training for a fall or winter marathon, but, yeah. uh, meeting a friend and just not looking, taking old workouts but not looking at the times and just trying to have fun with it. So what, what was the workout you did today? I saw that you ran 4.99 miles, but I wasn't sure what the workout was. Okay. I didn't run 4.99 miles. I was on a track and I promise you I ran five. Um, I think we took <laughs> your like mile at 5k pace, 400 rest, 1200 mm. faster, 400 rest, and mm. then 800, 200 rest, 400, 200 rest, 200. Mm. And Good stuff. I don't like 200 rests. That just doesn't work for me. It's just not enough rest. <laughs> and then on the last, uh, I think I was out there with friend of the podcast, Lauren Fogarty, and she just forgot about the last 200. So I took off and she was like, what are you doing? And she just like started chasing me. That tracks. Um, but <laughs> George, so it was pretty good. Um, Very good. yeah, I mean, I feel like I've gone in and out of these cycles where I try to get back on the track and train for the shorter stuff. And I always end up a little bit, um, too beat up by the time race day comes. So hmm. I don't know, hopefully, I mean, this is, I'm not really training. I'm just doing one workout a week, but it's been fun to get back out there and get the heart rate up. I've really been focusing for almost four months, just on like my heart rate, keeping it really low and just trying to get the runs in. So, hmm. yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, Peachtree, of course, is on July 4th, um, which is suddenly not all that far away. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, know. I mean, here we are. Here we are in mid to late May. We're recording this on Wednesday, May the 18th. We'll put out a couple of days from now. Um, but uh, but yeah, July 4th, which you know feels like the peak of the summer. Peak of the summer is kind of right around the corner. We're in the last week or two of school here in the state of Georgia. Um, I'm going to start my summer semester next week. I'll start teaching a summer course. We had graduation, college graduation last week. So yeah, summer is, is upon us all of a sudden. This it's transition summer. season that we all talked about how much we like, uh, it's going to an end. Is summer school virtual for you? Um, it has been in person in the past. 
Um, I've taught a summer course every single summer since I started teaching college 10 years ago. Um, and I've taught some virtually over the course of the past couple of years, and I've taught some in person, mostly in person over the course of the past 10 years. Um, this one is going to be entirely an online course. Um, it's offered as an online course. Um, and so I was uh, studying up today. It's the course I taught in person this past spring, and I was very happy with how I taught it in person this past spring. And so trying to begin the process of translating it into an online course, which, of course, is a much different experience for both me and the students. Um, sure. And so. So, yeah, it starts on Tuesday and it's a summer course. So, as you know, from your own college experience, that means it's kind of condensed. Yeah, um, really the, fast. Yeah. And so it, it does last for the entire summer. And so it's seven or eight weeks long, but still that's only half the length of a regular semester. And so we meet twice as often and have to do twice as much content um, each week. So it's it's intense, but I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun. Should be fun. Um, Are you that guy? That professor. <laughs> that professor? Yeah. Are you that guy? So it depends on which guy you actually mean. Um, I, I, I got an email from a student here at the end of the semester that, that uh, he had an 89.8 in the class. And he asked me what he could do in order to get an A in the class. And I wrote back to him and I said, here's what you can do. Answer the, this question. What about Professor Darden makes you think that he would round an 89.8 down to a B? <laughs> So, so I'm not that guy, but which guy do you actually mean, Eric? Uh, which guy could I possibly be that you might be asking? About? You answered my question. Okay, you're, you're that guy. Okay, the good, the good guy. I like to think I'm a good guy. I'm at least I'm yeah, not a guy yeah. who would round an 89.8 down to a B. Uh, yeah, that's now, I'm not sure if I really think you should be the one making fun of people's math. <laughs> or the, I, I, but, but simple math like that, I think I can let it go. So thanks, buddy. Thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, let's talk about a few things that, that folks might have missed. It's been a couple of weeks since last week was an interview week and I wasn't with y'all. Um, something that Michelle was super fired up about um, and, and on our, our text thread for the podcast, she sent us over and over and over um, <laughs> was the new uh, record on the Wainwrights round by John Kelly. Uh, Michelle, tell us a little bit about that, which is cool. I'm, I'm on board, but I didn't know about it until you told me about it. Yeah, so we're going to talk about John Kelly outside of the fact that he's a Barkley Marathon finisher, um, which <laughs> I think is amazing. Um, and I've followed him for quite some time now. Um, John Kelly is an American who moved uh, a few years ago to England. He's a family guy. He's got a quote unquote real job. I think he's a data scientist That's right. and wife, kids. And he basically, um, I think he had tried it before, but England's mm -hmm. 214 pink Wainwrights round. And he basically went out and had a successful attempt at the record. Um, and he's the fastest person to run it now, five days, 12 hours, 14 minutes and 42 seconds. Yeah. So that's just amazing. That's a long period of time to be going after a record. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I like when he sets out to do something um, and he accomplishes it, of course, but I feel like the lessons that he's taught over the years of trying and failing are like just as prominent as, you know, seeing him get this victory. Um, so it's exciting to, to see him get the record, so to speak. I, I feel like a record for this is somewhat difficult, but um, just because of the nature in which it's run. And 
I don't know. I like, I find him inspiring when he fails and I find him inspiring when he doesn't fail. So yeah, I got a little bit into following this. Sorry guys. No, I think it's cool. I mean, so, so for the record, it's 360 miles, right? Um, And it's 123,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, And then like Michelle said, it's 214 climbs, 214 peaks there um, in England, uh, England's Lake District there, um, which is pretty incredible. Um, And you just kind of climb and then go down and climb another one, then go down. Um, One of the things I think is super interesting about it is that it's it's part of so-called fell running um, and um, Addy Finn talked about this in Rise of the Ultra Runners about fell running and what it was. And there's much more of a tradition of fell running specifically in Great Britain um, than there is in much of other places in the world. But he was running off road and on trails. But a lot of times, like he's mapping his own way. There's not a specific trail that's actually there. And so it says, OK, you have to run to the top of these 214 mountains, but you figure out the route that you're going to follow. Um, and so he followed a route that some other people have followed in the past, um, but it's different from the route that some other people several years ago have actually done. And so it's not only a running challenge, not only a physical challenge, but also an orienteering challenge as well, which is probably one of the reasons why he has done well and has been one of the finishers of the Barkley Marathons, because that's certainly an orienteering challenge as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I thought it was cool. I think it's a neat thing. Um, he also was very um, forthright about how he wasn't just like running strong and thinking it was fantastic the entire time. Yeah. That's some low points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he said there are multiple times when he felt like I'm not going to do this. This is stupid. I'm not going to finish. Why do I bother doing these things? Um, and you know, it's kind of cool when you see somebody who's doing something epic or something massive, something that's different from what anybody else has done going through some of the same mental challenges that the rest of us go through, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, when I was following it, I really, I forgot that it was fell running and how fell running really like doesn't necessarily equal trail running. Um, even though it seems like it, it should, do we have any of that in America? Like, is there, do we have no. anything over here? Like we don't, we have Not nothing really. like that, do we? Not really. Not that I know of. Yeah. No. I mean, and, and, and if we do, they don't bill it as fell running, they'll, they'll bill it as trail running. Sure. And, 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 and then just slack off on the race management, which is what, the Barker marathons is <laughs> i mean he's essentially figuring out how to get from each peak to the next peak 214 times and figuring out whatever route he wants to take yeah it's sort of a, a free-for-all like, yeah that's crazy yeah how well, do you navigate you, that like how do when you... you get into that long trail thing where it's you know multi-day you know when you get over three days then you've got to say well where am i going to take a nap or Right. Where am I going to, you know, actually sleep a little, you know, like you're in this, like, I don't know. <laughs> you can't do that on the exposed peak. You can't do it on the windy side. You know, you, that's got to be planned. Right. So it's a whole nother element to figure out. And, and what, what's more, it's got to be planned, but you have to be willing to like modify the plan and change the plan as things are falling apart as they invariably will. You know, yeah. like that's incredible um, to, to be to be able to pull it off over the course of 360 miles. Is that what I said? 360 miles um, uh, over the course of more than you know, five and a half days. Um, yeah. 360 miles. That's that's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. And fittingly, he put it on Strava. Did you see that? 
Did he name it? So I am certain that he did. Um, but uh, but he, he he actually did indeed put the entire thing on Strava. Since you asked, I'm actually going to look it up now and, and see whether he, he, he in fact named it. I feel confident that he did. Um, but I really want to know now. Um, very good. So, so yeah, um, one of the things he said in there that I appreciated, um, and that I think that you will appreciate Michelle that I appreciate, um, is that he said that one of his mental tricks when it comes to, um, to, to finishing races is that he will break the distance in half. And so when he says, okay, I have a hundred miler, he says, get to the 50 mile mark. And then he says, okay, I have 50 miles, my 50 miles left. Let me get to the 75 mile mark. Then I have 25 miles left. Let me get to the 87 and a half mile mark. Now I have 12 and a half miles. Let me get to the 93. You see what I'm saying? So he's like constantly halving it. Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to talk about the new river marathon, which I did this past weekend and where the last 10 K hurt me <laughs> bad. And I was pulling on every mental trick I had um, and like trying to play any card that was in the deck for me. And that was one of them that I had read in the interview with him on irunfar.com about how that's one of his tricks. And I was like, all right, 10 K to go split that in half, get to 23. Okay. Split that in half, get it. You know, and I, I found myself actually doing that very trick. And so, um, amidst everything else that was as helpful as anything else was <laughs> in, that, in that last 10 K. Um, so I think that it, it was, it was part of a cumulative effort to try and get me to, uh, to be able to get to the finish line successfully, which I ultimately did, but yeah, we'll talk more about that in just a little while. Um, so Eric, do you have anything more to say about that? You know, that trick of cutting the distance mm -hmm. left in half and sort of making that your, I don't, I've, I've never made it like a technique, but it's mm -hmm. always something I think about, mm -hmm. you know, and it gives you those intermediate goals, something to work towards. That's not just the finish. And I, I think that's pretty powerful. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about something that, that was noteworthy inside of the world of endurance sports, perhaps for less positive reasons. Um, and that was at the flying pig marathon, um, a couple of weekends ago, the flying pig marathon, which I ran in 2019, which is where I ran my PR as a matter of fact, as a 44 year old, um, this year had a finisher named, uh, Rainier Crawford, uh, crossing the line in eight hours and 35 minutes. Um, and he is six years old. Um, he, uh, he crossed the finish line with his parents and with five siblings. He had five siblings between the ages of 11 and 20, and they made it into this big, huge family event. Any of his siblings that actually got to the 25-mile mark before he did, um, they all stopped and waited for them, some for you know more than an hour there at the 25-mile mark, and the whole family crossed the finish line together there in eight hours and 35 minutes. Um, six years old, um, his parents posted, and he was an official runner. He had a number on. Um, his, uh, his parents posted on social media afterwards. And as you can imagine, the backlash began almost immediately, um, of people saying that this was really not a good idea, um, that, that a six-year-old probably should not have been running. Um, they posted on social media that there were times there when he was crying and when he was tired and which he wanted to stop and, and they pushed him on to the finish. Um, and, uh, there were several people that have gone even so far as to call this, uh, is call this child abuse. Um, Michelle, you're the mother of three and the mother of an eight year old. Um, what do you think? Oh, I just, uh, I feel so strongly that 
I don't know. I hate to criticize uh, other people's parenting um, because it's the hardest job in the world, but it's a very American value that we don't weigh in on other, other people's parenting choices. Fair. Um, I will just comment on the fact that the rhetoric over and over was that they uh, kept on saying that he wanted to do it. And I am a hundred percent sure that six-year-olds um, do not have the ability right. to, uh, to say that in a way that actually means, you know, that in the depths of some type of endurance feat, like running a marathon at six years old, they can attest to wanting to do it or needing to do it or being able to do it. So I don't care that he said he wanted to do it. It's as a parent, a responsibility to protect your child's physical and emotional well-being and allowing him to enter the race, not allowing him to stop when he wanted to stop and forcing him to finish is honestly, I couldn't even, I couldn't even read the stories. I mean, six years old, like, yeah, uh, my, my, my sons are eight and they, they want to build an amusement park in the backyard. Um, and they were talking in very real terms only two days ago about precisely what that would look like and where all the various elements of it would be. Um, they sent me drawings. I've, I've been working on it for about a week. <laughs> You're putting your, your mechanical engineering skills yeah. to use. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Um, but, but yeah, the idea of, of, Oh yeah, you run. Yeah, I want to run too. I mean, of course a six-year-old is going to say that and, and that's great, but that's when it kind of comes to the parent to say, that's great, buddy. Let, let's, let's find something that's more age appropriate for you to do. Um, something that's, that's not physically um, I, as draining as a marathon. I mean, I've actually had, so the, and the reason why I bring this up on the podcast, the reason why I want to talk about it just a little bit is because, um, you know, I have colleagues um, at my job um, who actually came up to me and asked me about it because the kid was on good morning America and stuff like it's it, this is one of those running stories that's kind of actually entered the mainstream um, such that people have actually come up to me and said, okay, you're a runner, you've run marathons before. Is this an okay thing? Because the parents have said a lot of times they're like, oh, well, the people who are criticizing us are from outside of the running community. They don't understand running mentality. They don't understand what it actually is. And so I've had colleagues that came up to me and said, okay, you're actually a runner. Explain to me from a runner's point of view, whether you think this was okay. Um, and I, I appreciated my colleagues asking me that question. And, and my response was, no, I don't think it's okay. Um, that any way you slice it, 26.2 miles, no matter how fast or slow you go, is going to be a Herculean effort. Um, and for a six-year-old to undertake that is, is incredible. I'm not going to call it child abuse because I think that is a, that's a legal definition and, and I'm not a lawyer. Um, but, but I do think that, that placing your child in a situation where they don't feel as if they can quit this thing that is incredibly physically strenuous is is striking eric what do you think i thought people were going to give me crap for you know running races with grace right? well and, and actually that's she was in high school yeah that's one of the reasons no, and, bring and, it up because you had your I daughter doing really, ultras when she was in high school yeah yeah and i was really careful and i expected you of all people to say look you're an idiot you need to stop doing this but I, we had a plan. We were really careful about it. So, you know, maybe mom and dad can show me this six-year-old Strava, you know, record. And I can see that he built himself up to 26.2, you know, over a year or two. And he was ready for it. 
but that's not going to happen because that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. This, this kid did not run enough volume or hike walk enough volume to be able to do that. I, I, I don't think. Nor, nor should he have, by the way, I don't think and a six-year-old think, should be training yeah. for a marathon. <laughs> no, I, and, and that's the other side of it because he, he wouldn't and he can't and he shouldn't, you know? Right. So I, right. I have so many problems with this on so many levels that we probably should not talk about this for very long. All right. That's cool. There's one more thing I want to talk about. And that is um, how, you know, how did he get into the race? How did they get to run this race as a family? And I think it's really important um, to also mention that the race director gave this family accommodation so that they could have official bibs and be officially entered in the race. And she did this because in previous years, they had technically banded the race. Right. And she basically said that if they didn't allow them to officially run and she didn't feel like she did enough to adequately support the race and the course so that if they, you know, ran into trouble or needed right. additional medical staff, right. these people would be available Right. Um, then she said that the, the parents would have just done it anyway. And, right. and to me, that is just, yeah. that is appalling. I like agree. this is your race and you make the rules and if bandits aren't allowed and you know that these people are going to do this, you don't take the rules down for the minimum age of an entrant of a, you know, of a runner, make all these accommodations, let this happen. I mean, you make sure that you have all of these people at the start of the race to make sure that these people don't ever set foot on the course. Right. Um, these are not, I don't know these parents, but by the time you put all the pieces together, I mean, I don't know. The, sick? Yeah, sick? I, I, like, I agree. They're sick? <laughs> the, the, the race director, like you said, essentially said they were going to do it anyway. So we decided to kind of bring them in the fold. What um, is that? Is that and, also and, American? And, <laughs> and, and no, and I think that that's, I think that is, that to me sounds like the kind of argument that basically says, oh, well, teenagers are going to drink alcohol anyway. And so let's put them, let's, let's have them drink safely in my house. Right. Like stuff like that, you know, or, or um, people like anytime you say people are going to break the law anyway, so we don't, shouldn't really have a law. So should, we should just allow it. Um, like I, I, I've never responded really positively to that line of argument or that, that line of reasoning well, it's an abdication of your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. The the and it's the, I don't have to worry about it because they would have done it anyway, so I just let them do it. Like that to me doesn't. I've just never really responded that's... positively to that sort of. Reason. And it also it it admits the fact that she knew it was wrong. Yeah. So yeah. she's trying to say, well, I knew it was wrong, but so that immediately puts you in. You're just making excuses. You're just making yeah. excuses. Yeah. So. I mean, now you've made yourself, I feel like you're culpable and I, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I really don't want, and I know both of you feel the same way. I really don't want in 2022 to be criticizing race directors because I know they have had a tough couple of years. Um, But, but at the same time, yeah, I really don't feel like, I, I really feel like the race should have, they, they, they could have and should have done more in order to prevent this from actually taking place. I mean, it and, seems to me like it's pretty difficult not to be able to figure out who this very large family mostly running together that abandoned the race multiple years in a row. They could have 
just stopped it. Yeah. <laughs> Put all the efforts into what they were going to do to support these people on the course and to make you sure that they never crossed the start line or yeah. never entered at any other point on the course. Mm -hmm. um, I it's agree. really, uh, I agree. Um, and I, here, here's the worst part of this 2022 is going to be the year of, well, my four year old can run a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, thank you. Good morning, America. <laughs> you have no place in this and trying to make this a success story. You have just, you've just opened Pandora's box on this and someone, some kid is going to, you know, I don't know. It, and they're going to say, well, what's the parents fault? They shouldn't have done it. Well, the whole apparatus, letting him in the race and then making this big deal about it. That, that's a problem. You, do you remember, it was probably 15 years ago, um, there was uh, a little girl who became a licensed pilot at age seven. And my sons are eight. And I cannot imagine them flying a plane. Um, you know, your daughter is eight, Michelle. Can you imagine her flying a plane? <laughs> um, but, but she became a licensed pilot at age seven. And less than a year later, she crashed a plane and killed herself and killed at least one of her parents as well. And it's like, yeah, we probably could have seen this coming. Like, like it, it, and it made news that she was the youngest ever licensed pilot in the United States. And then of course she, she piloted the plane in the ground because she was eight years old at the time. And it's like, yeah, the, the, this drive to become the youngest do this, the youngest do this, the youngest do this. Um, it's not always... Um, I think in our best interest as a society to, to recognize and reward the youngest mm -hmm. to accomplish something. There's um, a reason why kids are kids. Like yeah. <laughs> they need adults for the most part to, you know, provide them with boundaries and direction and rules and guidance. And I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's go to the other end of the, the, the spectrum. I feel like, you know, with us talking about like, like, We've been talking over the course of the last few weeks of like old folks and young folks, old folks and young folks. So, so let's talk about an old folk now. Um, a guy named Joe Schoenbrut um, from the Netherlands. Uh, uh, we talked several years ago, not several years ago, a couple of years ago on this podcast about Ed Whitlock um, and just what a force of nature Ed Whitlock was. Um, and at the time, and he died a couple of years ago, and that's when we talked about him, but um, he was setting age group records until the last few months before he died um, in his mid 80s. But he had the men's 70 plus world record in the marathon of 254.48, which I can say as a guy who's 47 years old, that the idea of me being 70 years old and running only 10 minutes or so slower than what I'm able to run right now is absolutely mind blowing to me. But Ed, Ed Whitlock set that record 15 years ago, and it was actually broken uh, this past weekend um, by this guy, Joan Schoenbrut from the Netherlands. Uh, Joan Schoenbrut went out in uh, a, uh, a race called the, the Mass Marathon or the Mass Marathon in, in Belgium and ran uh, 254.19, um, which is just incredible. Um, 254.19. When you run your marathon this year, Eric, are you going to try and run about 254.19? That's <laughs> in the realm of possibility. <laughs> it's on the edge of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
He said that he, uh, that Joan Schumbrook, his goal was solely to run under three hours there at the Moss Marathon. Um, uh, he has run 74 marathons prior to this one under three hours. And so his goal was to run his 75th marathon under three hours. Um, and there was a tailwind in the first half, and he ended up going through at 126.18 for the first half and said, all right, well, maybe I can actually do this thing. And so he came back right in 128 flat and ran 254.19. Uh, a fantastic time at any age, but for a 70-year-old, that's definitely next level. Um, Michelle, what do you think? I like his A6. <laughs> is that what he ran in because we can't talk about what anybody does without talking about their shoes is that I what he actually wore i think he's an a6 ambassador or something like that um yeah i mean i don't have any concept of running a 254 marathon i don't even think i can run a mile at that pace so oh you could run I, a mile at that pace i mean well, for, what, for, for what that's worth you could definitely run a mile at that pace though um Gosh, also, he just looks so fit. Is that 71? Like, when I look at a picture mm -hmm. of him, I'm like, can we see his birth certificate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, he looks good. He looks fit. Like, I don't know. So, I mean, that's, that's what I, uh, that's what I, well, the funny thing about it too, is that like, so, so the, the shots of him on course, it's like, it shows him running along. He's like waving. Yeah, he, he's waving and he looks relaxed, but also the people around him are like in their 30s. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and the people around him are not like, you know, noobs. The people around him are serious runners. They're sub three hour marathoners, right? I mean, if you're a 35 year old man and you can run a sub three hour marathon, you're a solid runner. You're in the top 1% of runners globally. Um, and, and that's basically who he's running amongst. And he is 70 plus years old. Uh, yeah, he's wearing... It looks like in the photos, it looks like he's wearing Metaspeed Skies or Metaspeed Edge. Not so, sure which ones. Um, here's my question. You know, when you have um, teen athletes that are, you know, like child prodigies or whatever, mm -hmm. does that term exist at the other end of the spectrum? Mm. Like, is he just genetically gifted? I mean, that's really yeah. unbelievable. 71 years old, yeah. 254 marathon. I can't wrap my head around it. Okay, so, so I don't know the, what the term is. I'm sure there is a term. I don't know what it is. And by all means, our dear listeners, let us know what it is. But, Please let but, us know. <laughs> but yeah, I think there is something to it in terms of longevity. And to the same degree that there is a gift that can let somebody like Gary Martin, who just became the, what, 14th kid in the United States, 14th high schooler in the United States history to run under sub four for the mile. Yeah. Um, high school kid, uh, ran the third fastest high school mile ever guy from Pennsylvania. Um, like that talent that he has that manifests itself at age 17 and 18, like, um, this guy, time. Joe Schoenbrut has, I think a comparable level of talent or has a comparable level of whatever you want to call that. Um, it just, it manifests itself as a 70 year old runner than rather than manifesting itself as an 18 year old runner. Um, when did he start running? Do we so, know that? Joe like, Schoenbrut? I don't know. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, like we said, this is his his uh, his seventy fifth marathon under the or, or under three hours, and so it's not like he started just last year or something. Um, but I mean, you know, he could have started at age forty and run two marathons a year, and 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 certainly could be that. So um, I realized this week that I've run five marathons in the past fifteen months, and so. I, I think that's, you know, a sustainable pace, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah, I was all excited about James and his two marathons under as well. Hours. You should be. Well, I know. And, and he's 40. This yeah. guy is almost twice his age. 
Yeah. No. And, and that, and that's what I'm saying. And, and that's, that's exactly why, I mean, to, to Michelle's point, like we need to consider this guy, Joe Schoenbrut, you need to consider him in the same light that you would consider somebody like Grant Fisher. Yeah. Um, that, that he, he is, he's not James's competition. He's not my competition. He's in, he's in a class of his own, um, that, that he is on, on another level. Um, and, and I think it's kind of amazing and, and fantastic and great and inspiring because it makes me feel like, okay, I won't be able to run 274 or 254 when I'm 70, but maybe I can run 314 and that would be pretty cool, right? Um, but I don't know. And 70, if you're in the 65 and above or the 70, 75 age group, whatever age group it is for the marathon you're running, you see this guy's name on the, the sign up. Just <laughs> go somewhere else. <laughs> right. I, I'm sure those guys are like us. They hunt. And, oh yeah, this is. I could win this one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If he's there. Yeah. Well, you know, and to to your point, this guy is a good enough runner at age 70 that he could go to a small local run marathon and win the overall. For sure. Yeah. The the mar the marathon that I ran this past weekend it was won last year by somebody who ran just under three hours um yeah so uh pretty incredible pretty incredible um all right last thing we'll talk about here in case uh in, in things uh that, that you may have missed uh take it away michelle well we have three more things to talk about <laughs> we do about? Well, see, well i i folded in gary martin running sub four there into that one about uh about about okay. joe schoenbrut running uh 254 so so Got i think it. we have two more okay go ahead Anybody who hasn't watched that video should go check it out. Um, Gary Martin at a high school meet just blew the field away. It was phenomenal to watch. And, and it was actually, and, and, and you say that, and that's important. It was in Very a high important. school meet. It was, yeah. So, so it's one thing to run a sub four mile when you're amidst pros and that sort of thing. And an Alan Webb, not to take anything away from the great Alan Webb, but when Alan Webb set the American high school record of 353, it was at the Prefontaine Classic with pros. And that's cool in its own right, by the way, to see like a high school kid kicking past professional runners. That's cool. But this kid, Gary Martin, ran it in like a high school, high school conference meet, <laughs> like, like your region meet, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he posted the text message with his coach, you know, from the day before, and they were kind of, uh, well, let's just see how you feel. And we can decide, you know, at the time, whether you're going to go for it. It's just, yeah. it's so he said, he said, he said, the mile is the first race of the day. And so I'll be pretty fresh for it. Maybe I should go for it. Yeah. Um, and it's not like he just barely squeaked on. He ran 357. He ran the only high schools have ever run faster than him are Alan Webb and Jim Ryan, um, in the United States. Um, and so, yeah. Pretty made, and he did it in a high school meet, just like Jim Ryan used to do back like 50 years ago. So yeah, pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, but anyway, um, anyway, on to on to on to Shelby Houlihan. I know you want to mention her. Sure. Um, yeah, we just thought we would mention it came out today. Shelby Houlihan. We've spoken at length about her American record holder in the 1500 and 5000 meters. Currently serving a four-year suspension from track after a failed drug test. She uh, announced today that she lost her absolute final appeal of her suspension, um, the Swiss Federal Tribunal released their ruling and her four-year ban will be upheld. She's uh, ineligible to compete until I think January, 2025. And, you know, we've learned a lot recently that she's still training alongside uh, her Bowerman Track Club coaches and what's left of 
what were the Bowerman babes? There were 11. There's now five. And I guess it'll just be interesting to see if she runs for another, what, two and a half years to compete in January 2025. I don't know. What do you guys think? It would be hard. I think it takes a special kind of person to be able to continue training at that level without competition. Yeah, I, I think I think they should shift the start of her four year ban to the final adjudication of to today. This, uh, yeah, to today. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, you know, but but I mean, we haven't heard anything so far as we can tell. So so Shelby Houlihan put out a statement on was that on Instagram, Michelle? It was on Instagram. Thankfully, yeah. I have some friends who uh, sent me the screenshot of it. Right, right. So on, on Instagram, she put out a statement. So far as we can tell, neither Shalane Flanagan nor Jerry Schumacher, the two coaches that vehemently and emotionally defended her when she first tested positive a year and a half ago, uh, neither one of them have said anything about it. Um, and they've continued to let her train alongside the athletes who have not tested positive there in Oregon as part of the Bowerman Track Club, which I don't feel like that that cannot be a good environment in which to train. Yeah. Um, but but we haven't heard anything from them and and we don't know whether the Bowerman Track Club. We'll see. You know, if, if someone is interested and has a lot of time, I mean the cast ruling was released at length, what, a few months ago, probably it's a few dozen pages. I mean, I read almost the entire thing. I half the language is maybe a fourth of the language is above my head, but like there is no way whatsoever that, you know, Nandrolone got into her system the way in which, you right. know, Jerry and Shalane came out right. and, and said that it did and what her initial defense was. I mean, like she didn't, she didn't have a, a pinky toe to stand on right. <laughs> once the court of arbitration of sports took apart her argument and showed the evidence. Yeah. So. And we, and we should say too, that, that when, when she, her statement on Instagram today, it essentially said what you would expect it to say. It's like, I have no more appeals. I've lost. I have to serve out the rest of the suspension, but it's totally wrong. I'm completely innocent. And you're kind of professing her innocence and, yeah. and saying the system and the broken, system is broken. Been, yeah. The system's broken that she has been wronged and, and all that sort of thing. And so, so there was not any, uh, admission of guilt or contrition or anything else like that on her part. It just um, smells Lance Armstrong all over again. Yeah. 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 So. And I think that that's, that's one of the reasons why, um, I initially, like when she first tested positive, um, and she said, Oh, well, it was accidental ingestion. Like that argument has been forwarded by cyclists so many times over the course yeah. of the past 20 years. Why I was just like, Nope. Yep. She did it. Um, and, and was, was more cynical about it than I probably should have been. Um, um, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it does have that feel of, of some of the major dopers from cycling's ugly doping era of the early 2000s, yeah. which happily, I feel like cycling has gotten on the other side of, but um, at least for now. Um, all right, um, let's talk a little bit about Allison. You want to? Let's do it. So Allison, I'm sorry that I missed the, uh, the interview with her. I'm, I, again, I think y'all did a really good job and, and I'm proud of y'all for, for the job that you did. I thought you'd ask interesting questions. I'll let you ask thoughtful questions. There were points at which I laughed out loud, which is always a good thing. Um, as I, as I was listening through it and editing and then listening through the edited version as well. Um, I wanted to mention that Allison, I first met her when she came up to me at the Cochrane mill half marathon in the fall of 2018. 
Um, and she came up to me and said, you're George. Um, <laughs> and I said, yeah. And that happens to me frequently. Um, but but it's I'll because describe. I've been in the endurance community for a long time. And it's because I live in the town in which I grew up. And it's because my dad was in public office for a while. And it's just and I was a teacher and just like a lot of things, right? A lot of that sort of thing. And so, so somebody come up to me and be like, you're George. I'm like, yeah, I'm George. Like that happens. Oh, I know your granddad or, oh, I know your father or, oh, you ran with me when we were in high school back in 1991. Like that happens to me fairly regularly. She's the first person that ever came up to me. First person ever came up to me and said, you're George. I said, yeah. And she goes, I listen to your podcast. She <laughs> <laughs> yes. An original listener. Yeah. She listens to it from before she, she I is, even came she on. She's an OG, most pleasant exhaustion podcast listener for sure. Um, and, and it was funny because I kind of, when, when she said that back in 2018, I went from this sort of like, yeah, 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 to being like, really? Um, you know, <laughs> um, and, and excited to talk to her. But um, uh, we both ran the race that day. She won the race that way, the, the, the women's race that day, the, the half marathon down there in, uh, in the south side of Atlanta that, on trails. And that's when she was first getting into trails. Um, but she and I traded some, some messages after y'all interviewed her last, last week. And she said, yeah, I feel like I've come a long way since you and I first met. And I said, I feel like you have too. <laughs> and, and you have a lot to be proud of. And so, um, and so it was fun that when she came on, she said, she said, you know, most places I said, this, it's been a long time dream for me to come on here. Um, people say that it actually might be true for Allison. <laughs> oh, I um, think it was true. And, and that's super cool. And, and if she ends up running Mountain Miss with us, she's going to be coming on again <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Um, uh, but, but I know that she has a lot of different things that she's going to be looking at. Um, what were some of the things that stood out to y'all about the interview? Like, as you listened to it again, and that, that, that you liked and that you appreciate it. I noticed a trend um, in her training philosophy her, um, to running. Yeah. And what I, what I picked up on was in the beginning, she talked about she wasn't running high volume and preparing for a marathon, even though this was her second marathon that she actually was planning for. It was a lot of cross training and kind of low, low volume, low, mm -hmm. low mileage, running mileage. And then uh, she talked about not getting caught up in the pace. She talked yeah. about um, not letting that, you know, be the driver, which I think so many people get caught up in that. And that led into her talking about people making fun of her for how mm -hmm. slow she runs when they when they right. see her on Strava. And she said she talked about not getting caught up in that. Yeah, her, she said her Strava was kind of lame. <laughs> right, right. And, yeah. and I think that is such, you know, in her eyes, I don't know if she was looking at it the same way I was, but I thought, what a mature runner. Yeah, I agree. You know, what, a, what a mature runner, because every runner I coach, the first thing I feel like I have to do is say, you're running too fast. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you pulled James aside and said, what what did Eric tell, tell you from, you know, for the first month that he was coaching you, he would say, stop running seven minute miles every time I go for a run. Right. Right. And, and that, that was like the mantra, like you, you've got to run slower on your slow days. And I think she figured that out. And for the performance she threw down at Strolling Gym, which is just one of many, I think that's really cool to see someone operating at that level and, and having that pattern. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, she she seemed to from the start of her running career innately know that her easy days needed to be easy. Um, 
And I do think, I agree with you. I think that reflects a level of maturity that is beyond um, her running age. Um, that, that she, she is able to confidently say, yeah, my Strava is boring and, and not get caught up in trying to outdo people on various segments and, and things like that. I think that's cool. I mean, make no mistake. She ran strolling gym at 7.15 pace. So running 7.15 per mile on a rolling course for 40 miles, that's no joke, man. Um, yeah. On that note, I think that, um, you know, she's a regular winner or podium finisher of most, you know, mm-hmm. local races and even mm-hmm. some of the bigger races in the Southeast. But it feels like she's always sort of undermined or, you know, kind of uh, not really realized how good I agree or maybe you know what I mean like for me exactly it felt like she really she ran this race and she felt it emotionally and she felt it physically also but like she's really at a whole other level yeah and I think you can see that progression with a bunch of her other stuff when she went out to uh Chickamauga Marathon you know she just wanted a sub three and on a pretty tough course like she slaughtered sub three mm-hmm. um but even then it was just like, ah, yeah, you know, it's just the 254, 252. I forget exactly. But this is like, this is so unbelievable, uh, this performance. And I, yeah. and I think she, and I think she feels it. And I think, you know, I think it just will give her a whole other level of confidence and she can do anything. She can race Peachtree, you know, she can try to go longer. I think it's just kind of put her at a, another level in the running world. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny to talk about Allison right now because I know that she's going to listen to this because she listens yeah. to our podcast too. And so, so she'll probably circle around and be like, oh, I think that, but, but one thing that I was kind of struck by as I was listening to her as well is that I don't, I, I think she's just starting to realize how good she is. Right. Exactly. And, 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 and even if she does realize it, she hasn't totally internalized it just yet. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I, I, w- I was struck at the very, very beginning when she said, I wasn't an athlete. So I decided to start running. You're an athlete. Like people who are not athletes don't run as fast as you do. Right. <laughs> and in fact, really good athletes don't run as fast as you do. Like she's clearly an extremely good athlete. Right. Um, but, but she very much kind of downplayed the fact that she was an athlete in a way that it didn't feel self-effacing. It actually felt um, that, that she actually didn't, she, she has sort of internalized maybe some of the way that society thinks about runners as not athletes, you know? Um, but, but yeah. I think it's more a reflection of, you know, maybe trying some of the other sports that she mentioned with more hand-eye coordination that she just really wasn't so good at that. Maybe there was an expectation because of her height or her physique that she would be good at mm-hmm. um, that, that just kind of gets ingrained in you. Like when, when people think you're going to be this athlete at a young age and you know, this doesn't work and this doesn't work and this doesn't work. Like it can take a really long time to find a way to be confident in yourself and your, and your physical ability. Um, In in your, in your athleticism. Yeah. yeah. Um, And, and so, and I think that there's this real mistaken impression in American society that, that you only become a runner because you can't do other sports. You can't do quote unquote real sports. Right. Um, and in fact, the people that I have met via running, most of them are extremely good athletes. They are really good, solid, pure athletes. Um, and, and they've opted for running because that was the sport at which they excelled most because it's the purest of all the sports. 
Um, and so, yeah, for her to kind of kind of be like, well, I'm not that great of an athlete. And so I decided to run. Oh, well, I, I think that she's she feels like she's maybe just now literally maybe with this performance, she's starting to clue into the fact. No, I actually kind of am a badass. Um, and, um, and, and, and I hope that I don't want her to get all cocky and become a jerk or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But, 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 but I, but I would like to hear her just like when she downplays herself, I want to be like, you know, shut the front door. Like you're Allison Smith Mercer recognize, you know what I mean? Um, and so, so I, and I appreciated Michelle, the way that you kind of talked about that like the what she ran was historic and that was and it because it was i mean that's it's pretty amazing what she accomplished there um so, and i think her best days are still in front of her too so yeah. I've, I've never actually heard someone say shut the front door that sounds like somebody who has two <laughs> eight-year-old boys but i know where you were going with that what i think is funny and i it's not funny actually more more interesting and i, I think you planned to get to this the place where she taught when she's talking about strolling gym and she said it over and over and over and it was almost like a lot of this realization that she is the real deal right and she can do well right it came from the most interesting and unexpected source oh boy and and don't take a note so that you can edit this out i'm not i'm not i know what you're gonna say though but keep going you know what I'm going to say? I do. We've we've talked about the Barkley marathons and we've talked about Laz and just sort of like the the ethos that doesn't match what we think the ethos of running is. But I'll tell you, listening to Allison talk about him, I couldn't not like I agree. what he was doing for her. I agree. Right? And I'm a, I'm a big fan of nobody's done nobody's completely cooked they they can always become can bigger always better more and i don't know if that actually happened or he just latched onto her or if she just responds to his type of whatever or if he just popped or she popped up on his radar and he decided hey you're at my race so i'm gonna mo-, you know i'm motivated about this but man that relationship that little bond that they had mm-hmm. i think that opened the front door for her yeah and for him, um, and so so, and and I I appreciate you bringing that up, Eric. And even though I kind of halfway gave you a hard time because I knew where you were going with it, but but I mean, the very so so I I as everybody who listens to podcast knows, I'm not a fan of the Barkley marathons. I'm not a fan of Laz, and that has that that goes pretty far back to before the Netflix documentary and everything. Um, and it was predicated on him saying the very first like chink in the armor with Laz for me, the very first thing that he did that, that soured me on him was when he literally laughed out, out loud at the concept, the, the very notion that a woman could compete at the Barkley marathons. Um, like when, when somebody suggested to him that you think a woman will ever finish this, he literally laughed out loud and said, no, I don't think that women are capable of actually doing this. Um, which to me, not only reflected sexism on his part, but also reflected an ignorance of ultra running, um, a world in which women tend to excel at the same or even higher levels than men. Um, and so that was the first thing in the armor. And so all the other things that have come after that have only like piled on there. Um, but to your point, Eric, like people can grow, um, 
and people that are old can grow like not only young people grow right and so i like to think and I, i'm i'm an optimist that maybe allison and others have changed him very interesting and like like you i'm an optimist glasses half full rose-colored glasses whatever you want to say and i was like because i i kind of want to like the guy he's a character but i've never really had a this is you know this was a secondhand experience I've, I've never talked to someone who directly interacted with him and this seemed like a very positive interaction from for allison so i mean 2020 changed a lot of people <laughs> you know and so so maybe it changed him too um and i think that would be a positive thing and kudos to you michelle by the way for for bringing this up in the conversation with allison um because actually as i was listening to her that was editing it th that entered my head and I was like, oh, I wish I was part of this interview so I could ask a question. And you did. And so kudos, Michelle. Well done. I know where the good stuff's at. <laughs> <laughs> um, those of you who are listening at home, you couldn't see the, uh, the self-satisfied expression on Michelle's face. But believe me, it was there. It was there. Um, one thing uh, to wrap up talking about Allison, um, you know, y'all talked a few times about her list and the things that are on her list. Um, and then when I was interacting with her afterwards, when she and I were trading mess messages after she referred to her list and I said, so where's this list? <laughs> uh, and can I see it? Um, and she said, it's actually in my head right now, but I'm thinking maybe because I've been talking about it so much that I need to write it down. And so hopefully she is writing it down. So maybe when she circles back around with us after we all do mountain mist together, uh, she will tell us the things that she has added to her list here. So, um, well, she did check something off of her list. So, which is. Strolling Jess? Strolling no, getting interviewed by the most <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, And I guess maybe I'm the weird one that I actually have the list written down, but you know, maybe that's just me. Uh, maybe that's just me. Um, all right, y'all want to talk about this New River Marathon? This this marathon that I ran this past weekend, the reason why I wasn't with you to, to interview let's, Allison? Let's think about this. He just, really. hey, Michelle, George just asked us if we want to talk about this marathon that we didn't witness or participate in. Yeah, we George, I'd love to I was going to say, so obviously the question is yes, because you didn't witness or participate in it. Well, so you need to know all the beats. Well, George, I just want to tell you how I feel like I'm not as involved as I should be. I ran with Adam Heiser of ITL on Sunday, just Adam and I, which was also sore for two days after that. But that's a different story. And he was telling me all about your Strava log. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking from the race, like, he's like, yeah, I pulled the log. And I was like, gosh, I'm just not nearly like <laughs> as much of a fan as I should be. <laughs> of like, me? I was is really, is really as much a fan of George as you should be? <laughs> right. I agree, Michelle. <laughs> right. I was, I was talking to Casey the whole race. I got the pictures from mile 11. I got the country breakfast with the fellas while you were still running. I got the finish line pics. We got communication from you. But like, man, Adam took apart the Strava logs. Like that's. Yeah. Well, that's funny. That's funny. Cause that. I actually, so, so Adam actually texted me when I was he sitting, said. I was sitting on the steps after the finish. He goes, Hey, have you gotten to Maine yet? Yes, I know. <laughs> I and I said, I said, I switched my marathon and I'm sitting at the finish line of the new river marathon yes. right now. And he goes, Oh yeah. snap, you switched. Um, and then, and then because I had a lot of people texting me, including both of you, um, I, uh, I kind of dropped the text thread with him, but then that night picked it back up and wrote him a long text about how the race went and that sort of thing. And then didn't hear from it. Um, and so, so the fact that, uh, that you said, 
said that he went through and pulled the file. Maybe I'll circle back around with him tonight and ask him what he <laughs> thought of my splits there. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking in, we talked about it um, obviously the week before um, and Michelle, you had made a joke on the podcast where you said big shocker, George actually pivoted away from one of his goals or George changed his schedule or something like that. And I thought that was funny and I laughed at it and I still think it's funny, but, but something about it at the same time, I was like, yeah, she's right about that, that I definitely have been a little bit all over the place over the course of the past couple of years since lockdown happened. And that's very much out of character for me, but something about this felt a little bit different. And so I found myself kind of reflecting on that a whole lot um, because I was committed to Sugarloaf Marathon and I did build my training around it. And I did do workouts specifically with a mind to trying to perform well at this race. And I had visualized it, read race reports and all sorts of, so I was committed to Sugarloaf. Um, and then with less than two weeks to go, I said, nope, no more Sugarloaf, going to shift to this rural marathon in Western North Carolina instead. Um, and, and it really kind of made me think about, okay, why was I why did I so easily switch? Why did I so easily pivot away from it? And really what it was, I had two thoughts about it. One is that this weekend, this marathon weekend last weekend was more about my family kind of going and doing a trip around a race, which is something we haven't done in a couple of years than anything else. Um, and you know, we were going to go to Maine and we were going to spend six days, but then various other things happened. And it got to a place where it was just going to be me going to Maine by myself. And that just wasn't what the vision was. And so even though I pivoted with the race, I didn't pivot away from the family weekend, if that makes but sense. Didn't your um, kids just want to watch the race online? Like so yeah. Yeah. At one point, at one point they said, do we have to get up and go watch the race? Can we just watch it online? It's like, it's in one of those races, fellas. <laughs> this is a um, bit of a smaller so a little, little, little bit of a less big deal. Yeah. Uh, not like yeah, you can watch George, a zero to tell you. Yeah. I was, I was wondering where you were going with that, George, as far mm -hmm. as what made it easier mm -hmm. or what made it easy, I guess. Mm -hmm. And if, if you hadn't have said your family, I was going to say, I knew that from the moment you made the transition, mm -hmm. because the whole reason the main one fell apart were family commitments and things right. you wanted the, you know, the fellas to experience. And right. it turned into, I mean, you had, you had every, I don't want to say right, but to go up and run that marathon you prepared for, but you made a family based decision right. that, you know, they weren't going to go. And then you made a family based decision to go to a different race. And I was right. like, Hey, you were completely justified and it worked right. out. Now right. you picked, a hellacious race to transition yeah, to. Yeah, it, it was definitely a very different sort of race as it turned out. Yeah, but 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 yeah, for me, I guess the point is is that it is that it wasn't as much of a pivot as it felt like. The, the race itself was a pivot, obviously, going to Western North Carolina and doing a hilly race rather than going to Maine and doing a downhill race. Yeah, that was a pivot, um, but it wasn't a pivot in terms of my vision of the weekend. Like my vision of the weekend was my family going to a race and getting to spend some cool time together in a nice place um, and me getting to run a race and them cheering for me. And that still happened. And that was cool. Um, so, so why don't we, why don't we ask you some questions about the race? Cool. I'm down. And then, you know, I've, I've been thinking about this for a week now. Um, so this race was run in Western North Carolina Correct. and it was run on some of the, some of the course sections of the Blue Ridge Relay. So, correct. Uh, our Blue Ridge Relay team is very familiar 
and we have some very interesting names for these different hills we do. and whatnot that we that we will not repeat on the podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> what I want to know is you have run those you've experienced those yeah. you've watched us run those yeah. hills not in the in a marathon right. what was what was what was it like to run a marathon on those you know yeah. sub seven pace you know low six pace marathon on those okay so so two things to say about it first of all i was more charged up about getting to run a marathon in blue ridge relay country than i thought and I realized that as the race got closer and closer, and then like we got up to the area where the Blue Ridge Relay is, and we're like getting out among some of the same places we've we've been, and we like went past a couple of the exchange zones where uh, a couple of the places where exchanges are normally set up during the Blue Ridge Relay, and I'm like totally tour guiding my family and stuff. Oh, this is this hill, and this is what we do. And one time in 2018, this and this and this and this happened, and it was funny because it made me realize and. Anybody who listens to this podcast certainly knows this. And Michelle, if she's not rolling her eyes already, she's about to. Like, it made me realize, like, what a huge presence in my running life over the course of the past four years, the run, the Blue Ridge Relay has become. Um, and how much I value that weekend and how important and meaningful it is for me. Um, because and, 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 like, bringing my family to it, it almost felt like, like taking your family onto your college campus or something, you know, oh, this is where I've done these really meaningful things. And let me show you around all this stuff where these various things happen that that have formed such core memories for me. Do you know what I mean? That's what it actually kind of felt like. Um, And so, so it's, it's almost like going and running a marathon and being in this part of the country where this race that you and I, Eric, and and our friends have, have done, it, it almost made me, it deepened my appreciation for what the Blue Ridge Relay has meant to me. Um, if that That's makes sense. cool. Now, I fully realized that um, Casey probably looked at you and wasn't even registering what you were saying. And the fellas maybe didn't even look up from their iPads as your <laughs> tour guide. Though. They don't have iPads. Here's where they have Lee Nintendo was switches. convulsing in the van and we sat and pointed <laughs> at him and laughed. And... Right. And, and, and I actually did tell Casey the sophomoric names that we give to, uh, to the various hills on course, which she, for some reason, didn't have the same appreciation for that we do. Um, but, you know, um, but no, then to, to actually run a different sort of race on the, on that course, it was simultaneously exciting and also very difficult. I mean, to, to, to run on the course and kind of recognize those roads and be like, Oh, this is where Brian did this. Oh, this is where Lee did this. Oh, this is where I've run this, this, you know, Oh, this is where that exchange zone used to be before they moved it three years ago. You know, that, that was kind of cool. That was kind of uplifting, but at the same time, like, as you know, Eric, the blue Ridge relay is filled with these Hills that go up and then they turn a corner and keep going up. Um, like that's like, and, and the Hills on this course, were characterized by that. You had this sort of flat part, and then you went up some of these hills um, as soon as you left the river. And then you come back down by the river and you run the flat again. And then you'd run up these vicious hills that just like turn and keep going up, turn and keep going up, turn and go on to gravel and then go up and then go down and then turn. And then you're going, I mean, and so, so like that whole, that, that turn and get harder aspect of the blue ridge relay that that we have all become so familiar with was definitely an aspect of of this marathon as well which definitely made that last 10k exceedingly difficult why the dark vader shirt (laughs) i mean you 
essentially skipped out on the podcast to make sure you had chosen the most perfect shirt for the race on Saturday. So it took a lot of time and energy and forethought to go into what you were going to wear. So come on. So, well, I, I feel like we should, we should contextualize it for the, for the people who didn't necessarily see it on Facebook. Yeah, I wore a Darth Vader t-shirt. And, and as it happened, my sons were wearing uh, uh, Star Wars hoodies when they were cheering for me on the side of the road. Um, honestly, Michelle, there were, there were two factors. One factor was just the whole family, this is why I'm here, feel of the weekend. That was like, my sons are going to think it's hilarious if I wear a Darth Vader t-shirt. Yeah. Um, I, I thought they would get a kick out of it more than so they would if friends. I wore an ITL shirt or whatever else happens to be. You actually texted my wife as soon as you saw it and you were like, is that a cotton t-shirt? It's like, no, it's a dry fit t-shirt. I bought it at Run Disney before the Star Wars half marathon a few years ago. It was um, my first thought too. I didn't ask, but it was my first thought. It was, it was indeed a running shirt. It was indeed a that's, running shirt. Yeah. That's all um, I said. I wasn't like, good morning. How are you guys doing? Hope the trip to Western North Carolina is good. Which, which George's mindset is he feel ready to roll? Is that I a cotton like, t-shirt? <laughs> no um but but honestly i felt like i i was like my sons will think it's cool they'll think it's fun um and and that's kind of what the, that that matched the feel of the weekend the second reason is because right now in may of 2022 after two years of pandemic my body is just not what it's supposed to be running wise um, and my run Disney Star Wars shirt is a little bit bigger than my other medium sized shirts. And so, oh. and, and it's black as you would expect because it's the yeah. Darth Vader t-shirt. Um, and so it was a little bit slimming and more flattering looking than, than some of the tight singlets I would have worn that would have made me look like, I don't know, that Jim Belushi SNL skit from back in the day. Sausage. Um, so, so yeah, I didn't want to look like a, like, like a sausage. And so, um, now the fact that it was black and the fact that it had sleeves when it got up into the upper sixties there in the last 10 K, it definitely started getting hot and I might've been regretting it a little bit. And you're um, exposed on the course also. Yeah. I mean, totally you exposed felt the sun beating down. I did in the last 10 K. The last 10 K was, was really, really hard. I, I have, I have long thought and I now fully believe that the hardest sorts of courses are courses where you're running on the flat. And so you're running really, really, really close to your maximum. And then they throw in a hill or something really difficult. And then you're back on the flat again. And that's what this course was. And so you're on the flat next to the river. And then they threw in from 17.5 to 20.5. There was this brutal uphill, downhill gravel, like hardcore off-road section um, that was just so hard. And then you got back on for the last six miles you got back onto the flat and just had to try and manage all of that muscle damage that you had just done in that three mile vicious loop um the upside of that was that i had been running with another guy for most of the race up to that point um and that three mile loop evidently hurt him worse than it hurt me and and i was able to put a gap on him there and go on to win the race um and so even though that last 10k was super duper hard for me it was I was able to hang on enough to put two and a half minutes on, on the guy that I've been running with and, and ultimately pull away from him. So, uh, yeah, and I, I, and I realized I 24 hours later, by the way, this is the first marathon that I've ever won. So that's pretty cool. Only took me 47 years, 30 years worth of running, but I finally won a marathon. <laughs> so I'd like to dig into that a little bit. The relationship with this, this, um, this other runner, we'll just call it this other runner. That was, Jay was his name, Jay from Charlotte, North Carolina is half your age, right? He is 25 years old. So not quite half my age. No, he's, he's half your age. A L- little so, bit more than half my age. Yeah, very little more than half your age. 
this is actually the last time that he won't be half your age anymore. So <laughs> let's uh, just to what was it like? Did you were you in front of him the whole time? Did you catch no. him? Was he at like a target? Did you know that he's the guy you got to beat? Like, how, what's the mentality? He, he, going went, he the, went out know, the first, 13, miles. he went out the first two miles slightly faster than I did, like 10 seconds faster. And in the third mile, I caught up with him and he and I ran shoulder to shoulder side by side for pretty much their, their, till about the 20 mile mark. Um, there were a couple of times when I might've pulled a little bit ahead of him or he might've pulled a little bit ahead of me, but not in any sort of decisive way. When we went up some of the steeper hills, um, he pulled away from me a little bit, um, such that I actually on that hard loop, uh, on some of these really steep pitches, like literally up over 20%, um, in that hard loop, um, on right around mile 19, he pulled away from me a little bit. And I started kind of resigning myself to finishing second, which, um, I chided myself for and quickly tried to switch my mindset there. Um, but he, uh, he actually was pulling away from me just a little bit there on, on a few of those steeper pitches. Um, but then when we went down, uh, right there around 20, he said he started cramping up and, and I was able to kind of hold together a little bit more over the course of the last 10 K than he was. Um, so, so are yeah. you guys having a conversation? Mm -hmm. Hey, yeah. a little bit. What's your, what's your goal time? A little uh, bit. Hey, what's your Strava handle so we can, you know, can track one another. To... A little bit. He, he actually, he gave me, he gave me, you'll appreciate this, Michelle. He gave me kudos and a comment on my Strava more yes, quickly did. than I could actually name the run. I wasn't even done naming it yet. And he had already given me uh, uh, kudos and, and, and that this, sort of thing. And, and made this a guy is super impressive uh, and so, not just for his running. So he is a, uh, but no, we talked, we talked plenty in the first half and then right around 14, 15, something like that. Like right about the time it gets hard, I started talking a little bit less. <laughs> um, and, and the thought crossed my mind, actually, I was like, should I tell him that I'm talking less? Like, because no. it's getting hard. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because that would probably give him a little bit of a boost. Um, but at the same time, like he and I were kind of talking and he's not like for the whole first half of the race, he didn't take any nutrition. He didn't take any water, he didn't take any gels. And I'm just like gelling it up and watering it up and just, you know, doing what I do. Um, and he said it was because of acid reflux. But a part of me thinks that that's kind of part of the reason why I was able to run away from him is because he bonked a little bit because he wasn't, he wasn't feeding himself as well as I was. Yeah. So I never looked at the race results, but I did see he gave you kudos or gave you kudos and made a comment mm -hmm. like, right. I'm like, this must be the kid that mm -hmm. came in second. Mm -hmm. So I click on his, his Strava thing and I go, look this kid up. This guy was running hundred mile weeks yeah. before his taper to this marathon. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he's, He's putting big volume. He's fast. Yeah, he's a solid runner. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, kudos to you. And at, at what point did he relate to you that he was, you know, a UNC grad? Because I think that had to play into the, like, uh, uh, no, not second place in this one. No, when, when did that When did that come out? So I, I, I will admit that in that last 10K, when I was – and, and I had to dig as deep in the last 10K of this race as I've ever had to dig in any other race, literally. Um, and I can say that unequivocally. Um, because I had pulled away from, him. I didn't know where he was and it was this long straight. And so I wasn't definitely going to look, going to look back. So I didn't know where he was, but I was pulling on every mantra, every, anything that I possibly had in order to try and keep going. 
Um, and yeah, I might have been in my head a couple of times, this UNC grad, just as everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about UNC. Uh, but no, somewhere around 14, 15 miles, um, he said. When you started talking less. So when I started talking less, he said, he said something <laughs> about, we, we said something about running in college. He goes, where'd you go to college? And I said, I went to Georgia Tech. And he goes, he goes, how was that? And like I said, I was talking last time. I went, I went hard. <laughs> um, and then I went, where'd you go? And he went, UNC. And I was like, right. <laughs> I'm going to start talking less so I can reserve some energy. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but it, but it definitely did. Like, you know, like I say, I, I definitely stored that away and then cashed it in as well as I possibly could when I needed it over the course of that last 10K when things got so hard. Um, yeah, I'll sure. admit it. I lived vicariously through that victory just because the guys at UNC <laughs> grad. Because as I was talking to somebody that work on Friday, or no, I guess it was uh, Monday, I said, I've had to channel all my hatred of North Carolina schools to UNC because <laughs> I have a kid at NC State and a daughter, you know, my daughter's at Duke. So I'm like, I've got to go. channel it somewhere. And who's yep. going to put time into like being angry with App State or ECU? I mean, it, it's it good. All has UNC to deserves it. Yeah, they do. They do. So yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I live vicariously through that victory, George. I really appreciate it. Right on. That. Right on. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. I think I it's about time questions. for us to wrap it up. Oh, cool. Michelle, let's hear it. Okay. Um, so when we were talking about the race, you had commented, you said, that was all I had. I'm happy that I wrung everything out of myself and that I didn't yeah. back off the effort in the last 10K. Yeah. So how did you do that? How did you not back off the effort in the last 10K? Because the last 10K of a marathon yeah. is everyone wants to know how to do that, how to yeah. not back off the effort and how to just yeah. suck it up and, and see it to the finish line. Yeah. I mean... The best I can tell you, Michelle, again, and, and I, I've said this to a few different people, and I think I said it just a minute ago here, I was playing every trick I had. Like that John Kelly article that I read last week where he talked about splitting the distance, I had that in my head. And then like the mantra, like I kept falling back on this one mantra where I kept being like, he's faster, but you're tougher. He's faster, but you're tougher. Like that was my mantra. And I was like, there's no quitting you. There's no quitting you. Like that mantra. You can't back off. You can't quit. You're not going to quit. Like I, I fantasized about getting to the finish line and laying down and things like that. I mean, I thought about the workouts I had done. I had thought about my kids being at the finish line. I thought about how cool it would be to cross the finish line wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. I mean, just like anything that I could possibly do to keep myself going, I did. Um, and so it wasn't like one strategy. It wasn't just like one thing. It was literally all of the things. Um, I, I quit looking. I definitely didn't look at my watch for any splits. Like I, my watch would ring and tell me the split. And I was like, I'm not looking at this. I was like, I know I'm running just as fast as I was. And in the back of my head, I was like, no, you're not. You're definitely running slower. But I was like, I was like, I, I know I'm running just as fast as I was. It's just, that it hurts more now, George, just keep going. You know, this, like, um, my friend, Lindsay Amerson, um, uh, texted me afterwards and, and we were kind of going back and forth about it. And she said, did you ever say, did you ever ask yourself why you do this to yourself? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, those thoughts creep in. And I'm like, nope, not letting those thoughts in. Like, you just don't let that in, you know? So um, and, you and think... yeah. I, and she was like, that's all I think about in the last 10K. I was like, no, I cannot, cannot, cannot think about that. And if I found my mind starting to go in that direction, I just completely tried to switch tracks. Um, but everything comes... I could possibly draw on, I did. 
Do you think that comes from experience of racing at such a high level for such a long period of time? Or do you think that even the new, you know, amateur recreational runner marathoner can teach themselves to, to focus their mind like that when it gets really tough? I, I think it's both, but, but I, but I do think it's something that can be trained like, okay. So, and, and I think it's something that you have a limited reserve of. I think if you use up all of that power or strength in your training, by the time you get to the race, you're not going to be able to do it. Um, and so like today, so, so I took the last three days off and I was bitterly sore on Sunday is, I mean, just awfully terribly sore and it got worse throughout the course of the day on Sunday. Sunday was just miserable. Um, Monday it was still sore, but it was getting better throughout the day. And then yesterday I was actually pretty good. And then today I actually rode my regular ITL group workout on trainer road that I've done. And this is actually our 200th workout today. So I shout out to all my, cool. uh, my training partners there. Um, but like, I didn't, I, I probably, I felt good enough this morning that I probably could have pushed a little bit. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to push today. I'm not going to dig today. I dug enough on Saturday and I need to like rebuild that mental and physical store. Like I, I have London coming up in 18 weeks. Like I need to start rebuilding that literally now um, in order to be able to have that 18 weeks from now. Um, so, so yeah, I think I cashed in a lot of my mental capital on that day. Um, and, and I'm going to have to rebuild that just the same way that you would rebuild anything else. Well, you know? hopefully the stores aren't in the stock market right now. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question. Uh, which shoe did you choose and were you satisfied? Good question. <laughs> Good question. I chose, uh, I chose the deviate natural elite. Also, I know the answer to this, duh, but yeah, uh, we need yeah, to Yeah, of course you do. I chose a Deviant Natural Elite. Um, that's what I trained for, and that's what I kind of got towards. Um, my friend Jay, the UNC grad that finished second, uh, he and I had a conversation at one point uh, around the halfway point about the shoes that we were wearing. He was wearing Alpha Flies. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I wore Deviant Natural Elites because I had trained in those, and I liked those, and I liked the feel of them. Um, and, and I did like them. Um, I. Are you sore? Does your Achilles hurt? No. I mean, okay. So, I know you're so, sore. I'm saying. So, so, so interestingly, my, my, everything was sore except for my lower legs and my Achilles didn't bother me. Yeah, and so, 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 so I feel like the, the, the platedness saved my lower legs, but I think there were other issues potentially at play that, that, um, made me more quad dependent, particularly quad dependent in that last 10 K. Um, and, uh, and so my quads were just destroyed. Um, but my lower legs were good. My Achilles actually never bothered me and didn't bother me afterwards and doesn't bother me now. Um, and so I, I chalked that up to the super shoes, to the platedness of the shoes, yeah, so which cool. is good, which I'll take. Yeah. yeah. We've coined a new term, the platedness. <laughs> I'm in academia, man. That's what we do. <laughs> Um, all right, y'all. Thanks for indulging me. Let me talk about my marathon. It was fun and I'm proud of my effort. I got a cool, uh, metal that was made from some old re recycled barn wood, uh, from there in Western North Carolina. They gave me this, this fish 
that was uh, made by a local artisan there, which was pretty cool. I won a three-hour fly fishing lesson there in Western North Carolina, oh, and that's so cool. and a one-night romantic getaway for two in a uh, in a bed and breakfast there in Western North Carolina. So um, maybe I was thinking, Eric, we could get like the entire six-person Blue Ridge Relay team, maybe to spend the night in that two-person romantic cabin the night before the Blue Ridge Relay. I don't think I don't think that's what you're supposed to do with that romantic getaway for two. The, the only reason I would want to do that is if the people are there to let us in exactly no like the 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 prospect or the thought the image of the six of us rolling up for the romantic getaway for two with like hearts on the bed and like rose petals and that sort of thing just makes me laugh enough to where i'll probably make that joke many more times over the course of the next couple of months um so and i also want a 40 dollar gift certificate to a to a specialty running store there in Asheville and boone which i will definitely put to use so that was very nice very nice so Ken Savinsky, the Blue Ridge Relay Race Director and the Race Director of the New River Marathon. So, very good. Cool. Um, thanks for being here, Eric. Thanks for being here, Michelle. Michelle, you have any last thoughts? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, last thoughts? Well done on the marathon, George. I enjoyed hearing about it. I mean, I got to hear a lot in the text, but um, this was really cool. So, well done. Thanks, buddy. Hey, and, and for real, y'all support means a lot to me, and I appreciate that. Um, Actually, I would say my last thought is I'm super jealous of Eric podcasting from a tent on top of his car. So I'm going to have to as figure you should out be. a way as to, you should be. to one up this. <laughs> awesome. Night, y'all. All right. Good night, guys. Thanks, George. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, mostpleasantexhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here4slayrx, that's the number four, slayrx, Twitter, at official slayrx, and Instagram, here4slayrx, the number four, slayrx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.